0: All right, John 16, 4, second half of verse 4 through verse 15. Let's give our attention to God's word tonight. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness... All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, it is on your grace that we rest our plea like we just sung. It's on your grace that we come and plead that you would be with us now. God, we need you to be here by your Holy Spirit. So that, so that we might be changed. In and of ourselves, if left to ourselves, we will not hear your good news. So God, would you please open our ears, our hearts, our eyes, our minds. So that we might see something of ourselves and our sin, and more importantly, see something of you and your grace and your mercy in Jesus, and we ask it in his name, amen. So this semester, uh, we're going through John 13 to 17, which a lot of folks refer to as the farewell discourse, and it's essentially uh, Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. They've been with him for about three years. And now he's just told them that he's going to be leaving them. That he's going to die. And so they're about to, about to face the prospect of living life as a follower of Jesus. But without him physically there for the first time. And so this, uh, in this farewell discourse he gives them what he, what he wants them to hear. What they need to hear to face life in that sort of situation. What you and I call, if you're a believer, everyday life, right? Following Jesus and yet without him physically here. And as we say every week, everyday life can be really hard. And every week in this series we're seeing that that Jesus gives us extraordinary power to live an ordinary life. And so, if you were with us last week, you might have noticed that we sort of left with somewhat of a problem. If you were, if you're really thinking about it, last week we talked about uh, we saw how Jesus said that there would be persecution. That sometimes the world is going to hate followers of Jesus, and the people that follow Jesus are going to experience persecution. And the reason that that is, the reason the world hates. Is because even though they've seen God, they don't believe Him. They don't trust Him. But we also made the point that one of the the reasons that God allows us to undergo persecution is because when we endure persecution, we essentially put on this mini display of the gospel. It's like our lives enact a drama that displays the gospel. So that we bear witness to Jesus, so if you think about it that in, in some ways there's a problem there potentially, right? So if people have seen God and know him uh, at least have the opportunity to know him, Jesus has come to make him known, and yet they have rejected him. so what if if our lives bear testimony to Jesus, how is that going to change anything, right? If they've already seen God, how can bearing witness to God make any difference? And I think that's what, at least what we're going to focus on here in this passage, what we see Jesus tell us. Jesus says that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. We've already spent one week, a few weeks ago, talking about the Holy Spirit. But here he tells us something different about the Holy Spirit. He says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will work through his followers to change the world. Specifically, he says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. And so those are the three things that I want us to look at tonight. So we could say it this way. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to show the world and show us that, we're, that it's wrong about three things. That the world is wrong about what's wrong with the world, namely sin. That the world is wrong about what is right in the world, or in other words, righteousness. And thirdly and finally, that the world is wrong about who wins, or rather, who's already won. We'll talk about judgment. Judgment. So, first, let's take a look at the fact that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will show the world that it's wrong about what's wrong. So, it's a fair question, right? If I asked you for responses, which I'm not going to, but if I asked you what's wrong with this world, what kind of answers would you give? What kind of answers do you think you would get from you know, society at large? You know, you probably hear people say all sorts of things, like it's, it's politics, right? A certain kind of politics is what's wrong with the world. Uh, economics, that racism is what's really wrong with the world. Some sort of hatred, that it's people's hunger for power that's really wrong with the world. All sorts of things, right? But you're never going to hear someone naturally say... And you're rarely ever going to hear anybody say, you know, what's really wrong with the world is me. That I'm what's wrong with this world. And we could scale it down. We could sort of narrow the focus to say, to ask it about ourselves. What's wrong with us, right? And all of us by our nature default to answering that question by pointing to something outside of ourselves. What's really wrong with you? What's really wrong with me? We all tend to default by thinking that what's really wrong in my life is my circumstances. If I, if I had more opportunity afforded to me, if I had more money, if something else, if, if it wasn't for those people, if, it, if I wasn't being uh, oppressed in some, sort of, in some way, if it wasn't for this political agenda that's being pushed on me, Right? But nobody, myself included, certainly, nobody ever says, you know what's wrong with me? is me. It's my heart. That's what's wrong with me. But Jesus comes along here in this passage and he says, the fundamental problem with the world is sin. And he goes on to define that. He says, namely... That what the problem, Sin, namely, is that, that, that people do not believe in me. Right? As you read that, I think... Uh, let's see, where is it? Verse 8, or 9 rather. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because... I think that it's best from reading, reading various commentaries, and I think that it's best to understand that because, as namely, that Jesus, when he... He says, concerning sin, namely, that they don't believe in me. That each one of those phrases is really just defining further what he means, if that makes sense. So he comes along and he says, the real problem with the world and everyone in it is sin, particularly, fundamentally, that they don't believe in me. And that's really the age-old problem with the world. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. The the fundamental problem with the world and with you and with me is that we don't trust God. And now that might sound obvious to you. Well, of course, that's what I've heard all my life, right? And that's what I believe. But that's not typically the way we default to thinking. Right? Like in Genesis 3, uh, the fundamental problem is the Satan comes along and he says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree? And they begin to think, the thought enters their mind, I'm not so sure that God's really looking out for me. I'm not so sure that he's, I think God's holding back the good stuff. And that thought begins to creep in. I'm not sure I can trust him. And that fundamentally is what's wrong with us. And it's a recipe for disaster because we're built by him to be dependent on him. And yet it's the one thing, he is the one thing that we look at and we say, "Uh, I don't think I can trust him. It would be like, I thought about it like this. Imagine that a friend of yours got really sick. With something that a doctor could absolutely help them with. But they were convinced that the reason they were sick is because of doctors. that doctors had made them sick. And so there's no way in the world they're gonna go to doctors to get better, right? Because that's the problem, no way I'm going there for the solution. So how do you, how do you fix that problem, right? The only way that, that, that there can be any solution there is if somebody changes their fundamental belief that no, 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 the problem is not the doctor, actually the doctor is the solution. Right, the real problem is you that you don't trust the doctor, right? And so Jesus is telling us that the fundamental problem with the world and the fundamental problem with our hearts is that we don't trust Him. So let, let, let's apply it this way. Do you ever think about? Do you ever think about why you do what you do? Do you ever peel back that onion, so to speak, right? Like get layer after layer of why do you do the things you do? Why do you get so angry? Right, well, the answer comes, well, because people are just frustrating. Okay, fair enough, but, but why is it so frustrating to you? Is it, is it possible that it's ultimately because you don't trust that God will take care of you? And that when other people get in the way of you taking care of you, you come unglued. And that fundamentally the problem is that you don't trust. We don't believe him. Why do you cheat in, in, in class? Well, because if I don't, I'm going to fall behind. And it's not fair that they get ahead and, you know, I'm just, I'm just making all things equal. Okay, maybe. Maybe. But is it just possible, if you begin to peel that back a little bit more, is it just possible that the reason is because I, I don't trust that God's going to take care of me, that me following His commandments is going to somehow come up short. He's going to hold back from me. Why do you party the way you do, if you do? Well, because it's fun. Well, sure, it is fun. But is it just maybe something deeper, right? Is it just maybe that you're uh, possibly desperate for acceptance? You want to find a group that you fit in. And you don't, we don't trust that God is going to provide that for us. That we don't find our acceptance in Him. Why do we lust? Why do we go to pornography? Well, because it, it feels good, right? Well, yeah, okay, but beyond that, why? Is it just maybe that there's something else going on that gets at our souls? That I'm built for something better, but I tend to find my satisfaction not in him, but in something else. Do you ever take a minute to think about why? And so what, at least part of what this means for us, it it helps us to see the real problem, because then... It means that we don't just repent of the bad things we do, right? I got drunk again, I looked at that again, I lied again, whatever. I mean, yes, we repent of those things, but, but we need to look at the sin that's sort of behind that sin, if that makes any sense. And when we begin to repent of the real sin, the reason I do these things as I trace it back is because my heart does not trust you. Then we're beginning to get at it, right? Right? We're beginning to get at the real problem. And it's the fact that I don't trust Jesus. And I want you to see that if, if you're beginning to see that tonight, then part of the good news for you is that that is the Holy Spirit at work, just like Jesus promised. If you're beginning to see, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe the millionth time, that what's really wrong with me is that I don't trust Jesus. And that's why, whatever. I want you to see that's the Holy Spirit at work, just like he promised. Secondly, I want you to see that Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit shows the world, shows us, that it's wrong about righteousness. It's wrong about what's right. right? First we saw it's wrong about what's wrong in the world. And now we're going to see the Holy Spirit convicts us, the world and us, about what's right. Or about righteousness. So Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to work inside of people to show them, convict them about righteousness. And he says, namely, that Jesus is going to the Father. So what does that mean? What's he talking about when he says that I go convict the world of righteousness, namely that I go to the Father? One commentator that I read, a man named Bruner, Uh, He summed it up very well by saying that essentially what Jesus is referring to here is Jesus' career. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That from his birth all the way to going to the Father, right? That that's what he's referring to. So what does all that mean? Well, basically, that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to people that Jesus is the definition that Jesus is the standard of righteousness. That what is right, what righteousness is, is Jesus and everything about him. Right? Think about the context. The non-believing Jews, who would be a a large part of who he's talking about the world here, people that hated Jesus and believed him to be unrighteous, right? They're going to be the ones... Uh, that go on to crucify him, that say that he ought to die for blaspheming. They believe that Jesus deserved to die for his unrighteousness. And then in Jesus' is being raised from the dead, God is vindicating him as the righteous one. In other, in other words, we say it like this, that God is showing by the entire career of Jesus that this is what righteousness looks like. In other words, this is what I accept. This is what it takes to be in relationship with me. Okay, so again, it's a fair question. If we asked ourselves, what is righteousness? What what is right? Right, What does good look like? Because apparently we're all naturally blind to what true righteousness is. So we might tend to think of things like this. What, what does it look like to be a good person, to be righteous? Well, if, it's, if you, it's if you go to church, maybe. Or if you go to RUF, you do Bible studies. Maybe if you give money. If you serve on the weekends and you help people out. Um, maybe it's if you don't do certain things. If you don't sleep around. If you don't get drunk. If you don't do whatever it is, right? That's what righteousness is. Maybe if you don't judge others maybe if you just do more good than bad treat people with tolerance and dignity and such right and and those are good things but is that the sum is, is that the sum total of righteousness because the holy spirit is going to work in, says that jesus says the holy spirit's going to work inside people to show us what real righteousness is and that the real standard is absolute perfection, right? It's Jesus' career, which was what? Absolute perfection. Not just avoiding the bad things, but always doing the right thing. And so when Jesus' standard comes along, it exposes us, right? Because actually, some some of y'all, probably more than me, would fit some of those things we talked about, right? Like, y'all are pretty good people if that's the standard. But what if Jesus' career is the standard? I I thought about it like this. Um, I used to think that I was really good at ping pong, okay? I used to think I was not just, you know, all right. I used to think I was really good. And then about... 12 years ago, it was Amy and I's first year of marriage uh, we, I was working as a youth director and one of the dads in our youth group said that his son mentioned, came home and said you know Wei uh, likes to play ping pong and he, he's good at ping pong and he said we want to have you and Amy over, and he, we've been meaning to have you over and he's like we should, we should play sometime you know when you come over and I said well that, that'll be fun and uh I said I, th- I think I'll give you a good run, and he's like, "Oh well, all right, well, I'll take that as a challenge." And I said, "I honestly said, well, you you need to be careful challenging a youth director to ping pong because I essentially get paid to do stuff like that. I do it all day long." And so we went over there for dinner, and we had a big time. And he said, "Hey, let's let's go play. I'm like, let's go play, old man." <laughs> and it was not long into warming up that I realized that not only am I not good. At ping pong, but that my ping pong skills are an embarrassment compared to this guy, right? I thought I was good, and then I realized he just is good. He wore me out like it wasn't even interesting. It wasn't like yeah, I was twenty-one to fifteen. I mean, I you know I hung in there. I lost, but no, no, no. Like it wasn't even fun for either one of us. Because he was really good, and so you see the point. It exposed, like seeing real goodness, exposed me, and that I think is exactly what Jesus is getting at, telling us what the Holy Spirit will do. That when G- when the Holy Spirit comes along and shows you, look, this is what righteousness is. We can't be left with anything but to look and say, "Then I, I got nothing. I got nothing." if that's what real righteousness is. It exposes us. And so at least one thing that means for us, it means that not only do we repent, should we repent of the bad things we do, and repent of the sin behind that, right, that we don't believe in Jesus and the way that that connects, but it means that we even repent of the things that we're proud of. It means that we even need to repent of the stuff that we do that we think is good. And that, look, don't get me wrong, might in some sense be good. But we need to repent of our prayer life and our church attendance and the ways in which we give our money and serve. That even those things that we actually might think like I'm, that we're proud of very well might be the things that are keeping us from really grasping the gospel. So we're exposed when we see the true righteousness of Jesus. So thirdly and finally, the Holy Spirit is going to show the world and us that it's wrong about judgment. Or in other words, it's wrong about who wins in the end. Jesus says, that the ruler of the world is judged. That Satan, evil, the, the world, and like we talked about last week, flesh, evil, loses, and Jesus wins. In short, we could say it this way that, that there is a judgment. There is a judgment. Because we probably all naturally default to thinking something other than the fact that we will be accountable for our actions. And that there is going to be some reckoning, so to speak. So again, what if we ask the question, what do you think about judgment, ultimate judgment? Is there going to be one? Right, quite frankly, it's probably you know, many of you might very well think like that's such an antiquated idea, right? That one day we're going to stand before a judge and you know there'll be some sort of reckoning for your rights and wrongs and whatnot. You know, that might just sound so silly that it's just laughable. It's just crazy talk to think that way. Or maybe you think that there'll be some sort of um, judgment based on some sort of loose standard of you know, if you tried your best uh, or if you've done more good than bad. I had a, a pastor friend of mine several, several years ago, several years ago now, uh, he told me that about... He went to a funeral, and he was, uh, was in a church that he wasn't familiar with. He was only, you know, loosely connected to the person that had passed away. But he went to the funeral, and he said he's, uh, he's listening to this guy, you know, give, the pastor give the funeral sermon, whatnot. And he says he starts in talking eventually about judgment. And he says, you know, a lot of people, you know, you might tend to think that the way judgment's going to work is that you're going to stand there before God one day in front of a big scale. And he's going to put all your good deeds on one side. And then he's going to put all your bad deeds on the other side. And you're going to stand there in tension you know, while, the, while the scales balance out and teeter you know, first to the right and then to the left, you know, nervously hoping that the good's going to outweigh the bad. And the pastor said, and I'm, I'm telling you, that is not at all what judgment is going to be like. And my pastor friend said he was sitting there thinking like, good, all right, I'm with that, right? That's That's a good illustration. And the next words out of the guy's mouth were this. Did you have fun? Did you have fun with the stuff that God gave you? Because that's the way, that's what God's really going to do. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, did you have a good time? With what I gave you. And I'm here to tell you that old Tom here had a good time with what God gave him. Now that might be a little on the, the far end there, right? That might sound utterly crazy. But we all default to thinking about judgment wrongly in some way. And Jesus comes along and he says that the ruler of this world will be judged. There will be judgment. The Holy Spirit's going to work inside the world to convince us of that. So a couple quick applications. One, and this might be very obvious, but it means that Jesus wins. The the evil in this world does not get to win. Because it feels like it now, right? Right? If you're a non-believer and you have, you might very well have, or even if you're a believer, you might have a lot of questions about how, if God really is so big and powerful, then why does evil seem like it's winning? How do you explain things like the Holocaust? If, if God really is powerful enough to stop stuff like that. that Christ, Christians need the same truth right because it very well might be easy to look around and think evil is winning and it i guess it's just going to win in my life and in the world around me but Jesus is saying look the holy spirit is going to convince people of the fact that things are not what they seem that evil does not win in the end Jesus has already won and one day there's going to be a judgment where everything's made right and so that means that, yes, things like the Holocaust and uh, oppression of peoples are going to be made right. Somebody's going to be, people are going to be held accountable for that. That's a good thing. It means that the ways in which you have been sinned against, are going people are going to be held accountable for that. In other words, God doesn't look at the way that you've been sinned against or abused and say, eh, doesn't matter. It matters so much to him that there's going to be a judgment. But another quick application, sort of along the same lines, is that means there's going to be a judgment. Right? You remember what we started out talking about, that the problem with the world is me. The problem with me is my sin that I don't believe. And so that means that, yes, I want, I want. Uh, I want evil to be brought to account, but that means that I'm going to be brought to account. So what do I do about that? So let's end with this. What do you do if you find yourself here tonight, which you should, you are here tonight, but if you find yourself here tonight and the Holy Spirit is is actually working on you to do what He said He will do. If you start to actually think and believe, "I, I really am a sinner. I really do... Think wrongly about wrong and right and judgment and the whole bit. What if you really do think you're guilty, right? In some ways, this whole sermon so far has just been like a lot of bad news and maybe some helpful ways to think about things, but what do you do? All right, check this out. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit like he's promised to in this passage, right? And the next thing that happens is that Peter preaches a sermon. And he preaches a sermon to essentially the world. Right? Jews from all over the known world have come and gathered in Jerusalem. And he preaches this sermon, and he talks about three things come up a fair amount. First, he talks a lot about sin. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Um, Acts 2, verse 23, verse 36. He talks about sin. He also talks about righteousness, about Jesus being vindicated. Verse 22, 24, 31, 33. And he also talks, thirdly, about judgment. Verse 35. You see, the Holy Spirit shows up. Peter preaches a sermon. He talks about sin. He talks about righteousness. He talks about judgment. And and listen to this. Acts 2.37, right after the very end of his sermon, says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they cried out, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God God calls to himself. And you know what happened over 3,000 people got converted that day. You see, that Jesus promised it would happen, and as soon as the Holy Spirit showed up, it happened. And if you find yourself in that exact same situation, cut to the heart and saying, what do I do? Those same words are for you. You repent. And repent doesn't mean start acting right. All it means is go to Jesus with nothing in your hands. It means go to Jesus and say, "I, like me at the end of that ping pong game, so to speak, I got nothing. And you got everything. And you said you'd give it to me. And I need that. And the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that he will take his righteousness, the definition of righteousness, and he will give it to you. He will stamp it on you. So much so, God will credit it to you so that when God looks at you, He sees the very righteousness of Jesus. And nothing less. The very righteousness that when it touched people, it healed them. Righteousness that never once thought a bad thought and actually always thought lovingly about people, even the ones that hated Him and killed Him. Which actually was everybody. If you find yourself there, praise God that the Holy Spirit is working in you to change you. And let me end with this last thought. If you're a believer and you find yourself uh, in that situation, right, of cut to the heart, which is the essence of what it means to be a believer, what do you do? Besides, same is true for you. You repent and believe again and again, always. But it also means that you go out and you spread the good news of Jesus. And you get to go out and spread the good news of Jesus, resting in the promise of what He says here, that He will send His Holy Spirit to do what He says it will do. That you can talk to your friends about Jesus. Your life can display Jesus. And there is, there is every hope in the world that something will happen. Because Jesus says he will send the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And you get to go out in confidence. And that's good news. It's good news that is offered to you every week, here, always in the gospel. I hope you take it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you yourself would come and accomplish our salvation, that you would stand in our place that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to it. We pray that you would continue to do that in the world. Lord Jesus, change us. Change the world through us, we pray in your name. Amen.